Sends it towards the middle. It goes off the stick. Now is a breakaway. A chance. They score. A loose puck found. Athanasiu rushing ahead. He lifts the backhander by Flurry, and it's one nothing Los Angeles. Wagner to the middle. A shot. Save. Swept away on the rebound by Martinez. Bjornfoot shoots. Save. Rebound. Score. For the moment, it's two nothing Los Angeles. Meanwhile, puck is sent out in front, and it trickles across the line. Flurry gloved it, dropped it, and while he was standing, it went through his legs and into the goal. And the Kings lead 3-1. The Las Vegas Journal Review. It's twice. Oh, now it's a loose puck. Side of the net, they score! Flurry again makes a mistake, comes out of the crease. Ayafalo goes around him. Flurry even threw his stick behind himself. Ayafalo dunks it in. 4-1 Los Angeles. Got a good old-fashioned ass kicking tonight. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. We gotta Golden Knights lost to the Kings 4-2 last night. Ed, are you ready to grade some stuff? Professor Graney is here. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, let's just do this. I Yeah, yeah I mean... <laughs> Yeah, let's do this. Uh, yeah. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Raise, raise. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. God damn it, I hate you, got it! All right, first topic to grade. Are the Golden Knights first responder warm-up jerseys? A, B, pass. A, B, pass. Okay, so you know I'm not a Jersey guy, but anything about first you're responders, I'm giving an A to. Am I muted? No, you're no. here. You're okay, here. all right. So anything I'm giving, anything with first responders, I'm giving an A to, especially they're going to be auctioned off, VGK Foundation, money goes to good causes. I'm all for that. I'll give the B uh, for a beautiful gesture to get money to people who need it and to pass, obviously. Uh, they pass. pass with this. I'm not, a, I'm not a Jersey guy, but anything that's going to – be first responders, I'll be fine with. Beautiful gesture, gotta be. <laughs> They're great, Ed. They're not acronyms. All right. So the actual jersey themselves is what I'm grading, not the what they did with them. <laughs> I I am genuinely impressed with how good the logo is on the jerseys because they managed to take the fire department logo, a police department logo, and like that hospital logo. Mm -hmm. and a Golden Knights logo, and combine it into one logo. And I think they did a really good job, given those circumstances, of combining four things into one. Like, it's a genuinely solid logo. So I'm going to give the actual jerseys a B. B. Could obviously be better, because it doesn't have to combine four logos into one. But it's a solid logo. I don't have any issues with that logo whatsoever. It might be one of the Golden Knights' best logos in franchise history. All right, next topic. Cody Glass's goal with the Silver Knights. 
A D B. A D B. He gets an A because he, I assume, was five on five. So anytime he scores five on five, he's getting an A. A. I like, I like the D for the little deke on the move, and I like the B for the backhand. So A D B for that goal. Man, you are a disaster. <laughs> God, I don't. I I regret giving you any power to give out grades because I don't know what's happening anymore. You're just A-D-B. you're just coming up with acronyms. It's ridiculous. All right. So. The funny part about this is that Cody Glass gets sent to the AHL and Kelly McCrimmon says he's there to get his confidence back up, to make some plays and get his confidence up. Well, he had an assist on the gold or the Silver Knights' first goal yesterday, and then he makes he scores what's the most impressive goal of the game, where he takes it between his legs to get past the defender and then beats the goalie. Like it's it's a phenomenal goal. For for the goal itself, an A plus. A plus. But the overall B. grade here is incomplete. Incomplete. Because can Cody Glass do anything like that at the NHL level? Like, that's that's the important part here. It doesn't really matter that Cody Glass can score in the AHL. Cody Glass needs to be able to do stuff like that at the NHL level. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. And my other question, and I, maybe this changes because of Chandler Stevenson, which we'll get to in just a second, and Ryan Reeves' injury but do they have to change plans on Cody Glass and instead of letting him play a few games and get his confidence up in the AHL, do they have to call him up tonight to play if Chandler Stevens is out? Yeah, I mean, they might have to. It's, uh, I think they wanted to keep him down, and, and he, you know, he got confidence, I'm sure, with the goal and the assist, and that's what they put him down there for, supposedly. But, yeah, I mean, we don't know about Stevenson. If Reeves is still hurt, they're going to have to do something. So uh, I, don't, I don't think either of us are surprised if he's back up against Minnesota. We'll probably learn after practice. So, next topic, if you want to grade it, Chandler Stevenson's five-minute major. This is easy, Tyler. D for dirty. D. Dirty hit. Yeah, fail minus. Put that in there. F Uh, minus. I I thought it was a dirty hit. So, um, And I think Darren Millard put it best. You can't look at the tape and, like, come up with any other conclusion. Like like Darren said, he wasn't retaliating, I don't think. He wasn't – like, there wasn't a reason that you could say, oh, okay, I got that. That's why he did that. I think he should be suspended for a game or whatever. I thought it was a dirty hit. So, yeah, there you have it. Yeah, and so what was was most surprising to me – by the way, I'll give it an F. F. You you give it for why he did it or what kind of hit it was? both whatever okay. he had no reason to do it and no. F, he did it out of frustration f, f. for frustration f. Um, <laughs> but here here's what's like i don't know interesting to me about that hit is we never see the golden knights do that and maybe it's because they're winning a lot more often than they're losing but like we we never see the golden knights make truly dirty plays or dirty hits out of frustration like they, they don't do that they don't they don't take dirty cheap shots like ryan reeves might have a hit that's kind of late every now and then like flurry loves to sort of shove guys after the whistle but none of it's really yeah, like it's yeah. Not, yeah none of it's like really like cheap shot none of it's really and truly right. dirty they go the go nice don't do that and again i think some of that has to do with they're usually winning and you you're not frustrated taking cheap shots when you're winning usually but like it, it was just that was the part of it that was weird for me to see is like Chandler Stevenson doesn't do that. This team doesn't really do no. that. So it was so no. it was so out of character, not just for the player, but for the team as a whole, that it was just weird. Like because we 
I mean, in the entire history of the Golden Knights, how many legitimate cheap shots has this team taken? And it's no, it's they not don't. many. It, there, there's really no. hasn't been many times where you're like, oh, no. that was a terrible play. You can't do that. Like it, it happens, but you know, it's maybe once or twice a season. And yeah. it happened last night. Not that you're really excusing what Chandler Stevenson did, but it, it's a good thing as far as the team goes that that it only really happens once a year. Um, a good so, point. I mean, they they're not a team yeah. that does things like that. Just not. Yeah. Um, it does. So see. All right. I think he gets um, suspended. Yeah, I, I would say the one thing that might work in his favor to not get suspended is that they did kick him out. He did get a game misconduct. So he was booted from last night's game. And I the NHL usually takes that into consideration. Like they count that kind of as, oh, well, you missed a game, so maybe we're lessening you on the actual suspension punishment. But we'll see. I, I kind of think he deserves it too, because it I mean he just elbowed the guy in the face for no yes, reason. Like yes, it, it probably does deserve it. All right. Next one is Alex Petrangelo's return. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you're going to have your deep inside numbers. I'm just going to go blind eye guy and give him a give him a D. I don't think he played really well. I should D. probably make it a D. I should probably make it a D incomplete because it's his first game back. So kind of got to be fair to him that way. Uh, but just watching, I didn't think he played that well. So what was interesting last night is that Petrangelo's back. He's paired with Braden McNabb. But they did not play against the Kings' top line very much. And if you remember, before he got hurt, Petrangelo and McNabb were always playing against the other team's top line. But his first game back, maybe they're easing him in, that's fine. But the problem is, he still had the worst Corsi and worst expected goals of any defenseman for the Golden Knights last night. So he wasn't playing against their best line, and he still wasn't very productive when he was on the ice. So it wasn't a great first game back for Alex Petrangelo. He also had a horrible turnover in the first period that led to a breakaway for the Kings. Uh, they did not score on it, but it was a terrible turnover in the neutral zone. So we'll give him a break because he's just back from injury, but I'll give him a C for now. C. I am a little concerned that we might be having the same conversations we had earlier in the year of Alex Petrangelo. When is he going to be a difference maker? When are we going to notice right, him right. like an $8.8 million salary should be right. noticed? All right. Last one to grade, not in the Golden Knights. We're going to the Avalanche and the uh, Coyotes. Nathan McKinnon throwing Connor Garland's helmet at Connor Garland. AF. A, because I actually think it's great that Nathan McKinnon was throwing helmets at people. F, because with that underhand toss, that guy couldn't have started on my 8U softball team about 10 years ago. So it was a horrible throw. The kid didn't even do the windmill. He to he tosses it with two hands like forward. So obviously this guy doesn't do this these things kind of very much. And by the way, he just uh, F for fine because they just fined F. him $5,000 for doing it. Well, so here here's the key, though. Had he given a little bit of a wind-up to throw it, he might have gotten more than a $5,000 fine. He might have been suspended if he, like, chucks this overhand or gives the full softball windmill to throw it. He gonna, might actually get punished. If you're going to throw a helmet, throw the darn thing. Windmill it up, get your feet right, and take your long stride, get the stride going, and uh, hit the mid or hit the head. But, uh, yeah, I didn't – I mean, I thought it was funny that it was him because, like, like you said with Chandler Stevenson, like, all you hear about Nathan McKinnon is his offense and he's fast and everything like that. So I kind of laughed that he was doing things like that. Uh, but it was a weak attempt. And maybe it was such a weak attempt because he doesn't do things like that. He just didn't know what to do. Yeah, he didn't know what to do. So he kind of tossed like, it forward. I'm angry and I – here you go. Yeah. Uh, this segment brought to you by Miles Garrett. If you're going to throw a helmet, go ahead and throw it. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll give it an A just for the hilariousness a. of it. The yes, it's hilarious. He's throwing the guy's helmet back at him, and Connor Garland yeah. was so stunned that a helmet hit him in the face yes, that he didn't exactly. know how to react. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the thought process of Nathan McKinnon. He was just returning the helmet to Connor Garland. Like, hey, man, you lost your helmet. Here you go. Toss it back to you. Hit you right in the face with it. But, uh, yeah, we, we can take more helmet tossing in hockey. Just everybody's helmet comes off and you throw it back to each other. All right, coming up next, it is Bischoff's Priest. But first, here's a chance to win a two-foot sub from Porta Subs. We will take caller number five at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100 if you would like to win a sub from Porta Subs. So again, 702-364-1100, caller number five. Congratulations to Reed. He won the free sandwich from Porta Subs. But now it's time for Bischoff's briefs. And Ed, Ed, before I jump into my my briefs here, um, do you do you one word answer? Raiders roster right now is it better than when John Gruden took over the team? No. Okay. So here we go. The Raiders roster when John Gruden took over. The Raiders roster had six players that had made a Pro Bowl in the previous three years with the Raiders. So you were looking at Khalil Mack, Kalecio Simile, Rodney Hudson, Derek Carr, Amari Cooper, and Donald Penn. Six guys that had been Pro Bowlers with the Raiders uh, right before John Gruden took over. Only one of those players is left on the team, Derek Carr, obviously. Since John Gruden has taken over in three years as the head coach, there have been five different players that have made the Pro Bowl for the Raiders. Rodney Hudson made another one. Jared Cook made one. Trent Brown, Josh Jacobs, and Darren Waller. Those five. Now, if you look at those five, obviously he inherited Rodney Hudson, and he just traded him away. Jared Cook, who made it, he also inherited, but... To be fair, he did give Jared Cook his best career season when he was here, but he then let Jared Cook walk. Uh, Trent Brown, he signed for and has since traded. Josh Jacobs, he drafted and is on the team, and Darren Waller, who he signed. So, John Gruden, if you include Jared Cook since he inherited him, John Gruden took over a team that had seven pro bowlers, and he's gotten rid of six of them. And he's only brought in two of his own players that have ultimately made the pro bowl, or excuse me, three of his own players, Trent Brown, Josh Jacobs, and Darren Waller, but he's also already gotten rid of one of those guys. So if you're just going off of Pro Bowls here, John Gruden came into a roster with a good chunk of Pro Bowlers, got rid of almost all of them, and has only really added two more Pro Bowlers since then. Now, this offseason, he did sign Yannick Ngakwe, who made a Pro Bowl back in 2017. Richie Incognito has been a Pro Bowler in his past, though he has not been a Pro Bowler since he's been with the Raiders. Corey Littleton actually made a Pro Bowl once as well, But again, not with the Raiders. So that's sort of your look at it from a Pro Bowl standpoint, which is admittedly not the best way to do it. But that gives you a decent idea of guys that are sort of at the top of their position or at least close to it. But I think it's fair to say that the talent has been downgraded on this roster since John Gruden took over. That he took over a team that not necessarily was great, but he took over a roster that was okay. And he has made it worse. And so that tells us two things. Number one... They don't have as much talent as they used to have, but the results are about the same. Like, when John Gruden took over, Jack Del Rio had just won six games. Gruden, a couple years later, not that you should be pumped about seven and eight win seasons, 
but he has less talent, and he's basically putting up the same type of win totals as Jack Del Rio did in his final season. Now, Del Rio obviously went to the playoffs two years before he left, but the talent level is worse, but the team on the field is actually kind of the same, which should tell you that John Gruden's actually not a bad coach when it comes to in-game. It's just that his roster management has been so bad. That's the biggest issue here for the Raiders, is that the roster management has been so bad that despite getting what should be good coaching from John Gruden, they haven't actually seen significant improvement in the win total because the roster's been made worse. And John Gruden's doing a good job coaching a bad roster, but he's done a horrible job putting together a roster. So when you look at it in the big picture, right, if you're an NFL team, you're trying to win the Super Bowl. Are the Raiders closer to a Super Bowl now than when John Gruden took over? Not really. The quarterback's the same, even though Derek Carr's playing extremely well the last couple of years. The quarterback's still the same. They don't have like a generational talent quarterback that leads team to Super Bowls, not on their own, but close to on their own. They don't have that. Um, so from the most important position, he's playing better. But again, it's not good enough in terms of that position. And then defensively, they're just as bad as when Jack Del Rio was here. Like... They do not have an excellent defense that makes you a contender. So they're not really any closer to winning a Super Bowl. Are they closer to making the playoffs? Maybe. Not by much if they are, because just like in Jack Del Rio's last year, the, the Raiders are in no way like a lock to make the playoffs. They kind of they could make it. They exist. They're a contender to make the playoffs. But are they actually going to make it, or are they going to be one of the first or second teams that miss out in the AFC? That's kind of what they were this last couple of seasons. So overall... The Raiders are about in the same spot they were when John Gruden took over, but it's just interesting how the roster's gotten worse, which probably means the coaching has gotten better, but somebody just needs to take control away from roster management from yeah. John Gruden. And that's that's been the main problem. And I do think you're right in that, okay, Pro Bowl is, it might be subjective, but if you're a Pro Bowl, you're usually a good player specifically in that season. But you hit it on the head. Look, what have we said from the beginning? Even after he fired uh, Reggie McKenzie and hired Mike Mayock, it stops with Gruden. It starts and it start, you know, begins and ends with Gruden. He has the final say in everything. And as we've seen, there's look, he wouldn't be the first example of a really good head coach who's not very good at the personnel side of things. I mean, Belichick's the obviously the the one, you know, um, example you can put to the side and say he's probably the best of all time at that, beholding both roles. But I think there's and you can tell me what you think, I think there's far more failures on that end than a Belichick in terms of guys who do both jobs. And I think he came back, and I definitely think he told Mark Davis that if I'm going to come back, I'm going to have full control. We know that Davis agreed with the deal he gave him. But more and more, I do think the evidence sides with what you just said where he needs to relinquish that part of it. Now, do you and I believe he will? No, we don't believe he will. And I think that's a major issue. I don't think anyone's sitting here saying John Gruden's going to give up control anytime soon. Yeah, and, and here's, I mean, the, the problem with it is that John Gruden, he, he has hit on some players. Like, you can look at Darren Waller. They absolutely hit on Darren Waller. Even like a Richie Incognito, who was good. Everybody knew he was good in the past. They gave Richie Incognito a second chance, and it, it worked out really well. Like, Richie Incognito has been a very good guard for the Raiders. So he has done, he has had some good pieces that he has added to this roster. The problem is, is when you add it all up between the draft picks and between the free agent signings, especially the big name free agent signings, it comes out to a net negative in roster building. They have not been good enough in free agency or the draft. Like it's, 
I think it's fair to say John Gruden's free agency and draft decisions have cost the Raiders a playoff spot each of the last two years. Yeah. Because if you had, if they had better players, if they had gone, I mean, they've been one of the bigger spenders in free agency for like three straight years now. And if they had gone out and made good signings, if they had gone out and added players that actually made a difference, a positive difference, then this team is probably in the playoffs at least one of the last two years because they weren't far away with their win totals for making it. And if, you know, instead of LaMarcus Joyner and Corey Littleton and every other defensive player they signed being a bust, instead of Jonathan Abram and Cleveland Furl being, you know, non-difference makers aside from, you know, Henry Ruggs being one of the worst rookie wide receivers in the first couple of rounds taken this year. If they hit on three or four of those, they probably make the playoffs last year. This is probably a well, playoff roster and a playoff team under John Gruden. Yeah, because they're not two and fourteen, right? They're seven and nine and eight and eight. And yeah. the margin, the margin right there is thin in terms of what. Okay, one more win gets you in. Okay, so if you're that close to it, you have to do what you just did and go back and see who did they sign and who did they bring in in that particular year. It's one thing if you're three and thirteen, then you're like, all right, you're not very, you're not good. You're so far away that it doesn't matter who you're bringing in because you stink. They haven't stunk. They just have been on. They've been in where the worst possible place to be. If you stink, you're getting Trevor Lawrence as your first pick. If you're really, really good, like the Chiefs, you don't really care because you have the best quarterback in the world. You're going to go to the playoffs and maybe the Super Bowl in the next five years. It doesn't really matter. They're in purgatory, and the worst part, the worst place to ever be in professional sports is purgatory. Right in the middle, you're not really good enough to make it, but you're not really bad enough to have, get a great draft pick. And that kind of seems like what they are under him. Now it could change, but you're right. Right now, they might be two or three players away in terms of the last few years, but that's a lot because they didn't make it. So they're in a bad spot. You know, we've talked about this in the past. They're like, you know, 20 years ago, they're the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks would make the playoffs and always lose the first round. They just never could be one or the other to get better. And that's where the Raiders are right now. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to see if they can get a true difference maker in like the first or second round of the draft um, this year. Because so far under Gruden, none of their first round picks have really turned into true difference makers. Like the best they've done is... Josh Jacobs had a good rookie season as a running back, which is, you know, the least valuable position to have a good season at. Like Colton Miller has turned into a solid left tackle, but it took three years. So I'm can they they've got a pick in the teens. It's not a great pick in the first round, but can they get an actual difference maker with that first round pick? Whether it's a right tackle who starts all 16 games and we look back and say, wow, we only gave up you know, two sacks all season or whatever right, the number right. ends up being. Like, can they get a guy that you look back and say, yes? he actually made a huge difference with this team because they've had a ton of first-round picks and pretty much all of them in their first year haven't done a whole lot in terms of impacting the win-loss total at the end of the year, and that's kind of what they need. Drafting has been a big problem, so is free agency. All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkis joins the show. <clears throat> Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Blazers, wine, spirits in Nevada. Brought to you by Liquor World. He is our extreme mixologist. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Starkus and Instagram at J.R. Makes Drink. So you happy guy now? Everyone back in school? Kids okay? You all right? You ripping people? <laughs> well, people I, okay? I was never worried about, well, let me say this. Like the, the back in school thing, is is cool um i'm glad for people who can do it I, you know as a matter of fact uh we decided or that we're going to keep uh jt's going to finish the year from home because the way that it works out for him is that it's like he would have 12 days actually in school um so 
for his schedule, baseball included. It just is probably easier for his mother and I right now to just arrange it from him coming down from his room from doing online work. And he's actually doing okay with it, um, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the, the way that it worked out for him in his baseball schedule and school schedule combined, it was a bit of a hassle. So um, I'm glad that the kids are allowed to go back in school, and I'm happy for everybody who's going to go back, excited for them. I'm excited for the kids to go back. If it were a five-day week, he would definitely be going back, but going to school 12 days because he doesn't get to go back until April 6th officially uh, because of his year. So, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm glad that, that that's at least changing, and I'm glad the weather's changing. Have you uh, been fooled by any April Fool's Day jokes yet this morning? No. Um, you know, it's not something I generally pay much attention to, to be honest. But then, you know, I was listening to you guys this morning when I was walking my dog, and I was like, oh, man, yeah, i got to pay attention to that crap because uh, somebody will try to do something to you, and you'll, and you'll believe it. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll, you know, especially in our industry, right, in, in, the, in the spirits industry, uh, we, we try to stay very connected. And when there's movement uh, with maybe an executive or a brand or somebody buys something or something like that, like it gets communicated very quickly in our industry. I, I'm, I'm sure it's like that in your industry too, when, when things, you know, breaking news, if you will, but internally. And so if you're not paying attention and you start sending things up the ladder to executives that like this is happening and it's a complete joke, then you really look an idiot later on. <laughs> so I... I, it, it almost happened to me a couple of minutes ago. Um, this tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski. Sources tell ESPN that Utah Jazz guard Donovan Mitchell plans to refrain from traveling with the team for the remainder of the season while he seeks therapy for a chronic fear of flying that was exacerbated by an in-flight bird strike this week. <laughs> See, I, I like that because it's just like far enough out there where it makes you think about it where, you know, coming from him, right? Yes. Far enough yes. out there where it makes you think about it. You're like, man, like, do I it wasn't, it wasn't or... actually, it wasn't actually from Woj though. It was somebody who just changed their account name to say Adrian oh. Wojnarowski. Right. So I, oh, like but I, I Woj account. Right. <laughs> but, see, but here's the thing, like George's Niang was a guy who played at Iowa state and then was in the NBA and he, he had a fear of flying. He, he couldn't fly for a while. And, so that's when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is real. But, and, you know, their plane just hit a bunch of birds and had to turn around and land. So, yeah, April Fool's Day. It's, I don't know if it's the best or the worst. I think it's the worst. <laughs> it, it, it makes you think. It makes you stop and think, especially, I think, uh, in our industry that, in, in the world that we're in now, which is like, be first to report it. Um, it, it today makes you stop and like take a second to think, okay, is this like, how am I going to look if I do that? <laughs> because it could be a joke and everybody it could be in on it except for me if I retweet this. So it, it does, JR, it makes you stop and think. JR, are you insinuating there are people in our business who like to tweet things first? Oh, barely. Uh, just a little, <laughs> just a little bit. Every once in a while, somebody likes to tweet things first. Um, yeah. and, yeah. uh, maybe they do it just a millisecond too early. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's J.R. Starkus with us. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Starkus. Uh, okay, so uh, bring us up to date. What do we have this week, and what are we going to do for the people out there? So this week, uh, we're kind of focusing on, we're focusing on a cocktail that I'm, I'm doing called the Neighborhood Spritz, keeping on the warm weather. It's supposed to be 90 degrees this weekend, which I'm super oh. excited about. And, uh, you know, the warmer, the better for me. I love this time of year. And so, it, obviously, Easter Sunday this weekend, so there will be – uh, a lot of people brunching and eating out and enjoying um, that kind of cuisine. So the neighborhood spritz is something that you can have with your friends and your family, those in the neighborhood, um, or whoever you're celebrating Easter with. 
and it's perfectly easy. It's perfect for this time of year. It's four simple ingredients, easy to build, and it uses all of the things that you most likely would have around your house or something like that. So you're going to need ice and a large uh, a glass of sorts. You can use, I like using uh, a big wine glass. That's common for me when I build a spritz out. Um, I like that style of drink, like we talked about with the Spanish-style gin and tonics, the, the large Copa glasses. You can build it in a rocks glass if that's what you want, or you can build it, I would recommend it more in a tall glass if you're going to go that way, something with some more volume to it. That's why I like the big red wine glass. Grady, I'm sure you have one or two of those lying around the house. Yeah, well, just a few. <laughs> so yeah. after that, you're going to fill the glass three-quarters of the way with ice, and you're going to use a half of an ounce of botanist gin. We're using... Just a half of an ounce because, you know, the spritz cocktails like we've talked about before, their intention is to be light and refreshing and very sessionable and not to just like, not to wreck you, you know, not to get you completely drunk off one or two. These are meant to be drank, consumed all day long while you're enjoying the beautiful weather outdoors with, you know, friends and family and whatnot. So half of an ounce of the botanist gin is perfect for this drink because it brings up the alcohol level just a touch and adds that botanical mix. Um, it, to the to the beverage, giving it a le- another layer of flavor without overwhelming it with alcohol. Um, it's also nice because people who are out there may be listening saying, oh, I hate gin. Um, it's not a gin-forward cocktail, so it's just there for a little bit of alcohol. If you want to use a vodka, I guess you could, but you'll find that a gin with the way that they're made, um, it offers just more layers of the cocktail. Um, and I think even if you're not a gin drinker, you would really enjoy it because it's only half of an ounce. That's the first ingredient over ice. Second ingredient is St. Germain. St. Germain is an elderflower liqueur. I chose it because it's, uh, it's got a lot of flavors of pear and peach and apple, and people love it. And now that things are starting to bloom, um, it, it kind of just it's perfect for this time of year. St. Germain is, is what's often referred to as uh, like a bartender's uh, ketchup, if you will. It can kind of go on anything, or bartender's salt and pepper. It goes on anything. Um, so ounce and a half of St. Germain. It's low in alcohol. Think pear, think apples, think fresh fruit. It's gorgeous, beautiful liqueur. Uh, then you're going to add uh, a couple ounces of the Sovani Ingenious Apple Sparkling Soda. Now, like I've talked about these before. They have a few different flavors. I talked about the, the orange uh, a couple weeks ago and the apple this week. Uh, these are, you know, wonderful uh, sodas that kind of, if you think about all the flavored sodas that are on the market that are, you know, have flavor, but... Uh, but are calorie-free. It's along those same lines. This is a local company, a female-owned company. This one actually has real fruit in it. The can, the entire can is only 20 calories, but they're incredibly refreshing. And so piggybacking on the apple notes in the St. Germain, that's why I chose the Sovani Ingenious Apple Soda. So add a couple ounces of that, and then a couple ounces, two to three ounces of your sparkling brut, whatever you have lying around the house, as long as it's sparkling and as long as it's dry. You don't want it to be sweet. I guess I guess you could if you wanted your drink to be a little sweeter than normal. Uh, but Brut, I feel, works best because there is plenty of sweetness, in my opinion, to the St. Germain. So you take all four of those ingredients. You just build it on ice like in the layers that I just specified in that order. And then give it a little stir. Garnish it with some green apple slices. You can garnish it with some mint. You can garnish it with some lemon, tarragon. You kind of have some fun. Indulge it a little bit. Make it colorful. Make it, um, make it bright and, and sit back and, and sip it and enjoy it. Great conversation, friends and family. Um, and you can do this from, from morning to night. It's, it's a brunch-style cocktail. It's an aperitif-style cocktail. It's a cocktail while you're 
watching the game. It's a cocktail while you're enjoying Easter. It's a cocktail that you can make with new friends that you have in the neighborhood if you just moved into a new neighborhood because there seems to be a lot of building happening around here too. Uh, would this be a good drink to have while you're sitting in Lubbock, Texas, to forget that Chris Beard just left you to go to the University yeah. of Texas? <laughs> this would not be strong enough for that. <laughs> um, you'd probably want something a little bit stronger. Uh, we can talk about that next week. It'll probably how, be something more like whiskey. How much gin did you say was in this? Not enough? Ha- just a half of an ounce. Just a half an ounce of this one. You can just, if, you want it for the, if you want it for the Chris Beard transition, then you're going to want to add two ounces of gin and only gin and then just drink it straight out of the bottle. <laughs> That's the best way to approach that one. Straight, Just ignore any drinks JR has ever made. Just yeah. drink it straight yeah. out of the bottle. Straight to the bottle. Yeah, why, uh, uh, Maybe, whatever. Just straight to the bottle. Why, why are you fired up about 90 in April? It's, 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 it's ridiculous. It's, it's insane that what? we have these kind of temperatures in April. It's horrible. Ridiculous. What are you talking about? Yes. Had a, I mean, to me, if it's under 70, it's freezing. So oh, I, I'm out on anything under 70 degrees. Oh. 90 degrees, like between 80 and 90 degrees is really great. But um, oh. I, like, I like personally because, uh, you know, if it's over 100, I'm totally in. Um, because what? most people are, are, are scared of the heat or like when I go play golf or something like that. Everybody who, when it's over 100 degrees, everybody wants to play golf at 6 a.m. because they want to avoid the heat. Uh, I'm, my, I want to tee off at 10 because everybody's already off the course and I can have the course to myself. Yeah. mainly, and I, I love it. That's, that's the best time for me, or even, in the, even better when it gets, you know, when daylight savings, since we're there now, and we get a little closer to summertime, when it stays light until 8.30 at night, like, I'll tee off, you know, the, the twilight rate start at noon. Ugh, give me noon and 115, I'm in. Yeah. I want to play. I'll play, I'll play 36. I mean, this just in, you can also tee off in 70, at 75, and 75, and you'll be fine also. It doesn't need to be 100. Well, no, but I'm just saying. I mean, like, it's okay to tee off at 75. Is, 75 degrees is absolutely perfect golf weather, but everybody yes. wants to play then. You know, you're fighting the crowds. You can I don't want to fight crowds. I, I don't want to wait at every shot. I want to hit my shot when I'm ready, and I want to move on. Oh, I don't want to wait for the guy in front of me. Okay, so oh, anything boy. under 70 is cold. Have you had your heater on the last week or so? Uh, the heater has kicked on a couple times, yes, um, at night for sure. Um, we, I'm not, we're not window people here. We don't open the windows. Um, you know, so, I mean, during the day we do cause it's nice outside right now, but you know, the, my wife gets cold very easily. I joke with her all the time because especially in the wintertime, we'll go upstairs at night or whatever. And she'll say, it's cold, turn the heater up. And then I'll turn the heater up and then she'll say, it's hot. What did you do? And I said, I literally turned it up one degree, you know? <laughs> and so I don't, I told her, I said, there's no half degrees on the thermostat. I don't know how to help you because if 74 is cold and 75 is hot. Um, I, I, I don't know what to do. So the heater's on generally because my wife uh, seems to be cold, but now we're getting into the time of year where she's going to always be hot, and then I have to figure that one out. Ed, how do you the feel heater. about the heater being on I, 75 I, degrees? I haven't, I haven't slept with blankets in a week. It's, it's, it's sweltering in this place. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Starkus. What, you, what do you mean the heater? I mean, it's, it's, it's sweltering in my house. I haven't had blankets on a week. I hate this weather. It's terrible. Now, now listen, I, I, I sleep hot, too. I do. Uh, so I'm just talking about outside weather. If, if for some reason my house gets cold or really hot in one of the ways, um, but if it's, if it's, you know, if it's 60 degrees outside, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll deal with it, but I, I don't enjoy it. I'm def- I definitely have a hoodie on at 60 degrees. Definitely have a hoodie on. Hoodie. How long have you lived oh. here? How long have you lived here, Jr.? 
Uh, no, it's 22 years now. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. 22 years. But I'm also, it's funny because I also like with, with the pool, people make fun of me all the time because in the summertime, when the pool's on, I won't get in the pool unless it's 90 degrees. If it's, if it's anything less than 90 degrees, I can't get in. It's too cold for me. So oh, yeah. Okay. A warm pool, and my friends Ugh. make fun of me all the time. They're like, oh, your pool's so hot. Well, I have them over for a barbecue. We get in the pool and they're like, oh, this is really nice. I said, I told you, 90 degrees. No better way. It's the best way. Like I went to a, a resort one time and they had the pool. It felt like it was like it was 115 degrees outside and the pool was like 75. I couldn't even get in the thing. I dipped my toe. I'm like, nope, not not even chance. No way. Oh man. No way. Yeah, you it's just cold. that's frigid. These, you get hyperthermia stepping out. You'd suddenly go yeah. from 70 degrees to 115. Or well, I guess you wouldn't yeah. get hyperthermia. You'd get like you'd die. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's the worst. It's a cold pool. I don't know how people do it. All my friends are like, oh, it feels so good. It's refreshing. No, uh-uh, no way. I want to, I want to sit in the pool and you know have a cocktail and to do that. Ninety <laughs> degrees is the perfect temperature for that. Uh, come for the weirdness every Thursday. Brought to you by Liquor World. It's Jr. Starkus at Jr. Starkus on Twitter at Jr. Makes Drinks on Instagram. He's the mix, uh, mixologist expert, key account executive, Southern Glacier Wine Spirits, Nevada. Well. Uh, thanks yet again. I, I, it's weekly now with the, with you and what's going on in your life, so we appreciate it. Thanks. I love it, guys. Talk to you soon, okay? Take care. See you later. Man, 80, well, it's 89. I can't get in the pool. Can it, I'm going to sit here in my lounge chair till it gets to 90. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Unbelievable. I, I think it's been hot lately. i got to be honest with you. It has been. It has been very hot yeah. lately. Yeah. you got to turn the AC on. All right. Coming up next, I don't know what's coming up next. So Chris Beard has ditched Texas Tech, kind of like he ditched UNLV. Uh, He spent five seasons there, so gave them a little bit more time than he gave UNLV, but uh, he is going... Oh my god, it's been that long? Yeah, it has been. It has been a very long time since the Chris Beard hiring debacle. So he is leaving Texas Tech to go to Texas. I'm curious, uh, what are the chances that North Carolina says, you know, we really like this Chris Beard guy, oh. and they make him an offer? <laughs> oh, my God. I well, I mean, he drove through it once, so he's going back home if he does that. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. It's cool. A school with the money of Texas. I guess everyone in the pandemic got hurt a little. I just read this. This is interesting. His buyout dropped from five million to four million today. So yep. Texas probably told him two weeks ago, "Hey, Chrissy, you're our guy, but yep. we're not doing anything until April first because that's what we can save money." So even Texas, like I said earlier, they have more money than God. Even Texas in the pandemic was probably hurt enough to be like, "Now nah, we can wait a few weeks before we name this guy the coach." Okay, yeah, it's a couple of days for three million dollars. Yeah, Some, exactly. One of I will say one of my favorite Texas facts is if they took no donations from any of their donors, they would still be the fourth largest, the fourth yeah. largest Power Five uh, just, like athletic department. Like ridiculous. if they just relied on ticket sales and the bit Longhorn Network, they would still be like, yeah, we dropped down to top five. So, it's sort of amazing they don't win more. That's the <laughs> yes. joke. That's the yeah, joke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of it is sort of amazing. It's, I mean, they they don't they want for nothing at that place, like nothing. It's amazing they don't have more national titles in game in sports. They they should absolutely be 
a top five football and basketball program oh, every single season. Every year. Yeah. Like there's there's no every doubt year. they should be one of the best programs. And I mean, it's not like they they, they were three seed in basketball this year. It's not like they were right. awful. But the, the fact that their football team, what, they have they even have they even been in contention for like a national title or the college football playoffs since Vince Young and Colt McCoy? No, nope. I don't think they have since Vince Young. Yeah. No. Since that game against SC, no. Yeah, like they haven't I mean, even. That's been, amazing. They've been close. Yeah, it's not. It's not like oh, yeah. they lost in the playoff in the semifinal. It, like it'd be no. one thing if they if they lost to Nick Saban or Clemson every year, right? It'd right, be one thing right. if it's like okay, you can't beat one of the best coaches the game has ever seen at Alabama, yeah. but they don't even get to that point. They can't even but, beat Baylor. Like they, they, yeah, no, you're right. They kind of are like how the Dodgers were for 20 years, where it's like you've spent the most money and gotten the least out of this. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're no, you're exactly right. It's uh, I mean, you can get anyone into school. I mean, well, they've got like 900,000 kids at that school, so obviously that. Uh, people say it's an incredible place to go to school and live. They have more money than anyone. The football, obviously, just to check. Why would you ever go out of that state in terms of recruiting? Um, and yet football, I mean, football is obviously more of a surprise than basketball. Cause you know, like you said, you, there were three seed and Shaka Smart had some NBA players and everything, but football is the most amazing thing that they're just not, they're not competitive for a playoff spot every year. Yeah. And they, they absolutely should be there. There's no reason that Oklahoma should dominate that conference the no. way they do when Texas exists. There is zero yeah. reason that Oklahoma should have that much of a stranglehold. And to be honest, there's zero reason Kansas basketball should have that much of a stranglehold on the basketball side of the Big 12 mm -hmm. when Texas exists. Like, mm -hmm. sure, Kansas and Oklahoma are good programs in those sports. They're going to win some conference titles. But there's no reason Texas shouldn't be as good as those teams most years. So I, I actually I think Chris Beard is going to do really good at Texas. Like, I oh, think we're yeah. talking about Texas in, in the Final Four, Texas yeah. maybe winning a national title like quite regularly well assuming he stays there more than a couple of years no. but i i think we're going to be talking about texas as a as a national power under chris beard because he's he's a really good coach and he's won every single place he's been so i have no reason to believe that won't happen at the biggest resource job think, he's had think about i saw this on twitter think about texas tech right now they're like all right so we got to find a new coach well thankfully we'll probably be the biggest program looking for a wait what what roy williams do <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, oh. then what, what's a better job, Texas Tech or Oklahoma? Oklahoma's better, right? For basketball? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oklahoma's better. It's, Texas Tech was only good because he went there. I mean, he yeah. went to a national championship game and, and an Elite Eight. He, they're good because of him. I mean, you know, name a name a coach, you know, Bobby Knight and then Pat Knight and Chris Beard and like go back through the history of Texas Tech. Like, I, I, maybe I'm missing a lot, but I can't really do it and say, oh, they were really, really outstanding at this point. They were good because of him. So, yeah, so they talk about following the guy. Now you're following the guy. It'll be really interesting now to see who they get and if they just become a non-factor once he's gone. Yeah, I like, I don't, yeah, Texas Tech might be in a, in a lot of trouble here. Like, yes. The fact that yeah. they were able to get Chris Beard from UNLV after he took the UNLV job like 19 days earlier was was a great hire for them but how many people are considering lubbock texas home i don't know how many good coaches i guess are considering lubbock texas home probably not many i guess if you're unlb you're hoping that kevin kruger doesn't consider lubbock texas home <laughs> oh I, I i guarantee texas tech but um even though they're big boosters there 
there's no way this guy will ever sit, sit through another Board of Regents meeting to see if he got hired. <laughs> One of the great things we've covered, like, in forever, when that guy had to sit through that. Oh, He, he was going to take the North Carolina job, but then he oh, found he out they have a Board of Regents that has <laughs> yes, to approve exactly, his hire. Yes, yes. So Chris Beard said, nope, not doing that. Uh, We're going to go to Texas uh, instead. Do you think he still has that cast on his hand with a broken thumb? 